welcome to another podcast, another uh, discussion. And uh, Mara's with me. And it doesn't look like Josh over there. That looks like uh, Pastor David, uh, Pastor David Smith. And uh, David's one of our unpaid staff members that uh, contributes as he can. He works at Nationwide uh, as well and does some different things, Nationwide Children's Hospital. And so uh, welcome, David. Uh, many of you know him. We did a NAS chat not too long ago. And David's uh, got his master's of divinity from, uh, so he's a master divine uh, from the, the Nazarene Theological Seminary and uh, uh, just progressing to where God wants him to be in the ministry. Welcome, David. Uh, glad, glad you could, you could uh, pinch hit for Josh as he's sitting at a, at a beach or wherever he's sitting. And so uh, we're going to be talking about um, Rahab today. We, we talked about him, talked about her <laughs> Sunday. Uh, Mara, why don't you talk about the, the series just a little bit? Yeah, right now we are in the middle of our epic series, and I've really been enjoying it so far. I mean, I've, it's been really challenging as we really think about the fact that like we are made and called to live into this epic story, these epic lives. And we don't mean that in kind of a facetious way, or um, but as we look at the way God has moved in the past, as we're kind of looking at the story of the Israelites, we are expecting and anticipating those, those same kind of movements here and now. So we've talked about the tabernacle and really that reminder that God is always with us. And as we move and follow him, He's going to lead us into um, those those adventures, those epic moments in our lives. We've talked about um, Caleb and Joshua and the spies, and um, just this idea that as we as we move in trust and in faith, um, we we don't need to be afraid of the opposition. We don't need to be afraid of those things we encounter. That as we um, adjust our perspective, uh, we are going to keep moving towards um, what God has for us. So as we look at Rahab, I I love the story of Rahab. I, I've She's always been one of my favorites, just this person that I feel like everybody else had kind of counted out, and yet she was able to move and um, has a really big part in this story. So David, sorry I didn't give you more notice. I feel like I'm so glad you were able to, to do this this week, but I know you're such an expert that you can definitely fill us in on all the things we don't know about this story already. Right. David, why don't you talk about the story a little bit? We're in Joshua 2. Yeah. Well, thank you again for both inviting me into this. Um, it is in Joshua 2, uh, verses 1 through 15. I'll just kind of provide a brief summary of it and uh, uh, reading especially the ending portion of it. And uh, so God tells just Joshua and uh, and the people of Israel in chapter 1, again, as a reminder that this is the land you're going to inhabit and that I'm sending you to and so Joshua sends two spies to go look over the land of Jericho that they're uh, uh, looking over right now. And an unexpected person welcomes them into their home. It's the prostitute Rahab. And uh, so they're looking over. They find that there's uh, enormous amounts of fear from the people living in the, the place of Jericho, of the Israelites just looking on overhead about over the land that that is now theirs. So uh, the king finds that they have been coming to people, somebody, that somebody's house. And so they go to Rahab and they're like, hey, where are these spies at? We know they've been around here. And Rahab goes, well, they were here, but they left. They, you, are, you just missed them. Sorry about that. 
And so she's like, but if you go that way, you can catch them. Like, just go that way. And so they go, but she, we find out that she's hid them in her house on the roof. And um, it goes uh, from there uh, that she sends them down on a rope. And uh, I think it's in verse 8. I'll, I'll read from there to verse 15. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for when you came out of Egypt and when you did and what you did to Shion and Og, the two kings and the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown you kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by rope through the window for the house she was lived in was part of the city wall. Maura, All right. why don't you kind of lead our discussion here? Sure, sure. I feel like as I'm hearing you read that back through there, I just, I was thinking back to Sunday, Paul, and you talked about all of the reasons why Rahab could have trusted in what seemed like a sure thing to her. Like Jericho was a fortified city. She, um, she had no reason really to help these spies. It, it would have been more likely that she would have been successful had she turned them in. And I just find it so interesting that, that kind of that declaration of faith that she makes about a God that she doesn't know. I mean, she's only heard of him through other stories and that, um, I don't know that in that moment that the spies got to hear that basically this whole city looked so strong and fortified, but that they were, they were living in fear of a group of people wandering in the desert. Right. And um, I don't know, I just, I think it's just amazing to me that out of all of that, she was just willing to take that risk, take, um, take a chance on, on a God that she really didn't know. But when she knew what he could do, knew that that, that, that was the sure thing. Right. It wasn't the fortified city, it wasn't the walls. Um, so I just was thinking this week, and um, we as a culture are pretty risk averse. I mean, we talk about risk management. We talk about all of these things that we can do, and we talk about be, it being yeah, in our power, and we're supposed to prepare for every possible scenario. We talk about insurance, savings, retirement, all of those things that if you're not doing it, like we almost look at you like, like you're a fool. Like how could you not be planning for your future? How can you not be hedging your bets against these unknown things that would come up. And it's not, that's not bad. My husband is, he's a financial planner. Like that, that's his wheelhouse. But I'm starting to feel like that really is shaping the culture, even in the church, where we kind of have bought into this idea that we need to do everything we can to stay safe, to prepare for things to go wrong. And um, I don't know, I'm just kind of open this up. Where, what are you thinking about that? Or how does that sit with you? I know. Um the generation, the younger generation, will not do things uh, for fear of failure. That unless they know 
they will succeed. Or I'm not, I'm not going to generalize, but but I know that 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 is something Josh and I have talked about. That unless they know they'll be successful, um, they they won't even try. And and I think that. <laughs> You know, the, the fact of it is, and I'm the oldest one in this group, there'll be a lot of things that you fell at in your life. Never be afraid of failure. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I think a healthy, a healthy Christian understanding of failure would be a good sermon subject because all these characters in the Bible have failures mixed in with their successes. And, and oftentimes in the church, we'll use failure as a reason to say, well, that wasn't from God. Well, I'm, I'm here to tell you, sometimes God will let you fail because God has something he wants to do in the midst of that failure. Um, yeah. What do you think? I, think it, I think it's too about like, where do we put our optimism then in? And in this case, you even see it within the kind of... Uh, what the people, what the two spies say to Rahab and what Rahab says, it seems like Rahab has the more, you know, healthy version of optimism of, is the Lord your God has done, who has done these things? And they're at the end, like, oh, like, okay, but if you don't do what you're, you're supposed to do, then we're coming back after you, you know, like it, like even in the following verses after that, like, that she, if you break this oath that you were making with us, that all of that you have, we have sworn to you is done but like it is about where we put our optimism then and who we put our optimism then in yeah i, I think that's great verse 11 says for the lord your god mm -hmm. is god in heaven so she is declaring their faith that they should be having they should be saying hey the lord our god is the god in heaven you need to help us but she's saying i'm going to help you so she's declaring the faith they should be declaring. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's interesting. I mean, at least the way the story is told, it's almost like she hid them before she even explained why she was hiding them. I mean, like she just straight up was just took that risk right away. And I mean, I'm just trying to imagine them laying on her roof as like soldiers are coming and searching the house, just like trying to figure out like, what are we doing here? How did this happen? Why did she do this? Is this going to end up being some bigger trick. Um, I just would love to know what they were thinking in those moments. Yeah, that's true. There's faith there. They're, they're, they're putting their faith in her and, and she's not, she's not made any promises to him. That's for sure. Right. No, I think it's interesting what you said about failure though. It's like, I see that in, in my own kids. I mean, they're getting to that age where I find um, like Emerson is my one that he just doesn't want to fail. I mean, he just wants to, everything that he does, he just expects to be so good at it. And it's like, it's crushing for him and just very difficult when things, when things aren't going his way, when it's something like a new skill that obviously he's not going to be good at. But like, even just to get him sometimes to take that chance to just try it is, is quite a hurdle. And Finley's my one. She just doesn't want to fail publicly. She's the girl in, in the corner that she is going to figure it out and she will keep trying till she gets it. But if she knows someone's watching, all bets are off. Right. And so I just think it's interesting to watch how that fear of failure, it really just, it's something almost innate in us that we just are afraid for people to watch us struggle. How do, how do we build something better into our kids, do you think? Can, can I be, I, I've never been afraid of failure. I, I really haven't. <laughs> Maybe because I've got, I've failed so many times. Uh, but that's <laughs> never, you know, I'm not afraid of it. Uh, I'll, I'll try things 
I'll try things. And, uh, you know, I, I think of all in, you know, I put a pretty public declaration of what I wanted to do and I felt at it so far, but I'm still trying. I mean, that's okay. Uh, you know, failure's okay. Uh, and, and wanting to succeed's okay. Uh, but if our wanting to succeed keeps us from trying because we want to do things that we know we're going to succeed in, boy, that was a long sentence. Uh, if, if that keeps us from doing the things that, that maybe God's calling us to do, and maybe just things to challenge ourselves, that, that's, a, that's a problem. So how do we teach our kids that it's okay to fail? Hmm. I come back sometimes, I know you've mentioned this a few times, that we learn so much more from failure. Like we actually learn nothing from success. And I, th I find that fascinating because success is the thing we are all striving for, but that literally the part of our brain that lights up, it doesn't light up when you succeed. It lights up when you fail because you've learned the way that it's not going to work. Right. And like the, that is where the, the learning happens. And so I feel like I try to incorporate that kind of language as I'm talking to my kids about new things. Like if, if it doesn't work, that's okay. Like you learned how it's not going to work. Like try something else. And, um, but again, I had, I don't know, because I still have kids that are really terrified of failing. Now, what, what was it? Edison's, I think Edison said that he learned <laughs> there were 999 ways not to make the light bulb. Or yes. Something that effect. Yes. I think uh, that's exactly right. And so, you know, there, there's, I, I can remember coaching one of Spencer's teams in the first year, they, they were undefeated. They demolished everybody. The next year they moved them up division and they got their heads handed to them. They were getting beat right and left and our coaches were tearing their hair out. And finally I said, what, don't they learn more from losing than winning? Why don't, why don't we let them lose <laughs> and that'll make them better ballplayers. But the, the, the father's coaches on the team uh, didn't buy that because they didn't want to lose either. So, so what do you do, David? What, what do you think? This, this has been like a challenge for me because I, in many ways, I am a perfectionist about a lot of things. Like if things don't work right, I'm like, what is going on? My whole world is upside down and, and that kind of thing. And like, even, even for a while, like I'm, I'm a neat freak around here. And whenever Nora makes like a little bit of a spill, like, there's red lights everywhere going on in my head and like it took me a while to just like not like not come at her and scold her for failure or anything like that or like a mistake it, it's simple it's easy to pick up and like I, I think the the thing that has been uh, challenging for me is like when we make a mistake we learn how we learn how to kind of pick it back up ourselves and we learn to have help in the midst of it too like so whenever she makes a spill anymore, it's okay, can you go grab it? Can you go grab a towel or something like that? And let's clean this up together. Not you clean it up because you have made a mistake. It's like, let's do this together kind of thing. And that has been the, the most uh, challenging part for me too. And, and the second part I, I, I've been thinking a lot more about is um, I picked up this book because the title was really interesting and it is uh, Defending Cultures of Shame. And I thought that was just a really neat idea because there's so much shame language and weakness in Paul's letters and in the Gospels and stuff. And it's very uh, countercultural for us to think in that way today, that when we talk about Christ, we imagine this like strong, like powerful God in the midst of human presence. But God, Christ embodied shame. He, he embodied weakness. And 
I, I think if we begin to see shame in that way and see shame and weakness in that way, that we begin to live more Christ-like too. Yeah, I, I think there's a power too. Um, those are great observations. There, there's a power also in, in showing your kids how to live through failure. And so I think sometimes we try to hide. I think when we fail, our natural tendency is to try to hide it from people. But, but what if we said, okay, I failed here. This is who I am. Um, I want to walk through with my kids, with my friends, where I failed, what I can do better, what I've learned from it, um, and, and how I think maybe even I'm maybe better from that. I, I think that would be a powerful lesson for kids, at, at least. If, they, if, they, if mom and dad could ever once in a while say, man, I really messed up there. And uh, that's hard to do. <laughs> I know. No, as, I'm, as I'm sitting here, I'm literally, I'm feeling so convicted because I am the queen of reframing my failures into accidental successes. So like, well, I, I kind of, I kind of meant for that to happen. Like, and I'm realizing that like, I don't know, I, I've been reading so much about how like, like our voice as parents is the, the inner voice that develops in our kids at times and that um, our kids will hear that inner voice and think that it's the Holy Spirit. And so I want to make sure the inner voice that's developing in them is, is me speaking truth into their lives. And I'm, I'm getting more and more nervous sometimes that the things that my kids hear me say and that they are internalizing are going to be things that, yeah, cause them to, to feel shame when they make a mistake because I pretend like I don't make any. And um, I don't know, that's, that's really challenging me right now that I need to, to stop pretending at times that it wasn't that, that it was a mistake and just own it. That's good. The best thing anymore, every time I mis- make a mistake, is Nora will start laughing. So that's a really good humbling part yeah. of my life anymore that I really appreciate. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Um, but the other thing I kind of was thinking about this is, um, I don't know, we've had some really great moments in our church, I feel like, where we have rallied around someone who is facing facing a trial, facing a challenge, facing something in their life unexpected. And the way that, I mean, we know that our faith grows through those. And we know that um, there's, there's sometimes so much beauty that comes even from, from the ashes, from um, those periods. Um, but I think that we maybe are missing some opportunities where we can kind of go looking for the fight. I mean, I feel like we, we, we face it when it comes, but we aren't necessarily living boldly in like pursuing those things that might make us uncomfortable or um, almost like, I guess I'm thinking of the way that we kind of play things safe. And as I was thinking back to last month and I just feel like that idea of playing it safe, kind of like you were saying, David, it runs counter to who Jesus is and and what he came to do. I mean, playing it safe would have been Jesus staying in heaven. Mm -hmm. And yet he took this huge risk. And um, I don't know. I just I see, think it's it's the opposite of even what we see in the early church, what we are told to do in the Great Commission. And so I guess I'm just my question is just yeah, where where's our boldness? What do we what do we do with this um, dichotomy here between what's comfortable and what we're called to? Well, I, yeah, that, that's hard. I mean, that's a hard question to answer because you know we we're we're trained to play it safe. I mean, we we are. Um, and, and playing it safe isn't always the wrong decision. I mean, so, so you know, you, you've got to, um, you know, like we're, we're not telling our people, hey, go pick up hitchhikers. <laughs> There's a, my, my junior teacher, my elementary junior teacher in church, uh, Henry Ott would pick up any hitchhiker he saw. <laughs> he saw a 
and you know he'd share the gospel with them. That was you know that was his captive evangelistic audience, and he he never he was never hurt in doing that. But I think most of us would say, well, that's probably not the greatest thing to do. Uh, so so where is that balance? Um, you know, where's that balance of of being willing to take risk? You know, to be honest, when you tithe, that's a risk. When you give of your resources, that's a risk. When when you serve. Um, uh, that 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 is some level of risk, but but let, let's face it, it's it's not like we're risking everything <laughs> in some of these things that we call our risk. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I, it's, it's it's hard uh, to to determine. You know how do we how do we have holy boldness? Yeah. Yeah. One of the one of the kind of imagery is I'm going to throw out another book because I, I like reading a lot, if you, you can't tell. But uh, one of the other, uh, one of my favorite books is titled Exclusion and Embrace. And uh, in, in some ways, we're, we often exclude others because we're afraid of also being excluded ourselves. Where if we embrace others, we're most likely, more likely going to get the embrace back. And sometimes it just starts with open arms first. And I connect that too with like open arms that are also looking at our hands and seeing the marks of Christ in our hands too, that Christ is with us. It's not me, myself, embracing others. It's Christ in me embracing others. Right. And that's just an imagery. I, it, it's really, really hard to always think of that whenever you're in difficult situations. Like uh, another story that has uh, kind of really challenged me is a, a pastor that went to uh, this like uh, kind of low down broken community. The, the church was pretty well off, but he was in the midst of a, a very homeless community and he started a Sunday school or a, a small group program there. And he had his favorite guy chair, like every, like all those guys do where it's like the, the like the love seat and everything like that, the recliner and, and everything. And there was this elderly woman who didn't wear the, you know, you could tell didn't wash her clothes and, and all those things. And she picked that chair all the time. And for him, it had to be, you know, in order to keep serving that woman and keep doing those things, he had to be comfortable and opened up to that. And I think that's just the, like the image of what em- opening your arms and embracing other people is. It's, it's living in the midst of uncomfortable but also, you know, trying to also do what God wants you to do in those kinds of things, too. Like uh, living in uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> Being willing to be uncomfortable is the beginning of it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's good. What do you think? Yeah. No, I think that's really good. When I think about, yeah, Jesus, the people he spent time with, or the people on the margins, the people who had illnesses. I mean, at a time when everyone was so worried about this idea, this differentiating between clean and unclean. I mean, Jesus was more than willing to go and, and be around people who, um, who were contagious. I mean, people who could pass along. And I mean, those are the people that he was touching. Those are the people that he was letting just envelop him. And, um, so yeah, when I think about myself, it's like, where, where am I putting myself in places where I'm uncomfortable? Mm -hmm. I was actually just talking to Paul today and he's like, well, God sometimes calls us to uncomfortable things. And, I realized that, yeah, I, I needed to hear that because when things start to feel comfortable, that's usually when um, we're less likely to take risks because right. we don't want to upset the status quo. We don't want to, um, yeah, rock the boat, I guess. 
So I thought it was interesting, Paul, you mentioned something like playing it safe isn't always a bad thing. So how do you kind of identify maybe the right risks? Is there, do you have a strategy? Is there I, I think, a way that we can? I think when you're playing it safe to protect yourself, that's the mm. wrong reason to play it safe. Um, and so, you know, it, it can be a selfish, hey, I'm just protecting myself. I'm protecting my own reputation. Uh, you know, I, I, as you talked about the, the, the Jesus interacting with people, he risked his reputation interacting with, you know, they called him a, a drunkard and a glutton. You know, he was a friend of sinners. And, and, and when they said that, you know, we think, oh, yeah, friend of sinners. That's a great thing. No, that's a that's a slam. So he was willing to let go of his reputation to pursue the mission of God. And so if if our playing it safe is purely for reputation, uh, if it's purely for, hey, I'm going to be safe to be safe, then I think we need to question um, our motives. Now, I think there's there's. You know, we're, we have families, we have jobs, we have things that we have to do. Um, I, I, God doesn't typically, although sometimes he does, uh, God doesn't typically call us to give just everything away and just walk away from it willy-nilly. <laughs> that, that's a Latin term for free-for-all. And uh, but, but he does, you, you know, sometimes he does. Uh, you know, I was telling David, and I, I wrote it in the notes, I can't remember where I heard it about a kid uh, his parents told him if he's going to get saved, don't come home. And he got saved, didn't went home, didn't tell him. And finally they found out and dad kicks him out. Uh, when he's in college, without any missionary support, <laughs> without any organizational support, without any jobs or prospects, he went to South America. And I can't remember where I heard this story. I think I heard it at a leadership, the global leadership conference. He went to South America just because he felt God was calling him to go there. And, and they asked him, I know where I heard it. I heard it at district assembly. And it was, um, that's, um, oh, the, the speaker was talking about it. And when he asked him, why did you do that? He said, I felt like if I didn't do it, I was, I was walking away from faith. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, it ended up working out that he had, uh, you know, had some, ended up getting some support in South America and being able to serve in that way. Um, I was thinking about that story if Wyatt or Dylan or Spencer would come up to me and say, dad, I don't know why, but I think God's calling me to go to South America. I don't have any missionary support. I don't have any prospects. You know what? This dad would try to talk him out of it. Um, and, and so that, you know, that's kind of a convicting thing. That's a failure <laughs> from my perspective, but you know, we, we need to, we need to think about that. Why would we talk them out of that? Um, their safety, our reputation, <laughs> you know, we don't want our kids to, to go and where, where, where's Wyatt? Well, he's living on the street in South America. Um, I don't know if that was helpful or not, but I, I, th I think that's part of it. Yeah. Well, I think it's amazing. We have these great stories to share and to like encourage us because of people taking risks. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like how boring would the world be if, if nobody ever took a risk there, there's, I don't know. I'm just trying to like, we, we live for these kinds of stories. And, um, but it's always like, we, we kind of want it to be somebody else taking the risk though. We really enjoy the story, but somebody yeah. else can take on the. How many, how many times have I used the quote? He, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Uh, but, but do I live like that? <laughs> yeah. I try to, you know, I, I think it's whole, we hold on to these things 
uh, that we, I guess it's a question of security. What gives us security? Is it, is it mm -hmm. God or the things that we possess or we believe we possess? And, um, you know, I guess when you get back to um, Rahab, she realized she didn't possess anything, that, that her only hope, uh, you know, she, she was no fool to give what she could not keep, uh, to gain what she could not lose in, in following their God, <laughs> not her God, their God. Yeah, almost like it, um, not as it was easy, but she didn't have a reputation to protect. She didn't have, like, it was almost easier for her just to risk it because, yeah, what she had nothing to lose. And uh, I think back to Jesus talking about how, like, it's easier for, like, a camel to fit through the eye of the needle than, like, for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And just the more you feel like you have at stake, I feel like the easier it, or the harder it becomes to, um, to be willing to, to risk it. Yeah, that's, and, and Jesus talks about, you know, the poor being easier. I mean, I think the context of it, the poor was, is easier for them to accept him because they didn't have to risk as much. Uh, where if you, if you were somebody in society, if you had everything together, if you had the right job, and then there's a risk in, in accepting Jesus um, because you may have to give things up. And, you know, here we live in, <laughs> we live in a culture uh, where we think we're, we're being persecuted if, if somebody makes fun of us uh, or if the television shows aren't all favorable or somebody's elected uh, into a, a, an authority role that we don't agree with, we believe we equate that with suffering and, and persecution. And, you know, yeah. the, the martyrs from the first century are rolling their eyes in heaven saying, okay, somebody made a joke about you. You're, you're considering that being, um, persecuted, they chopped my head off. They they burned me at the stake. They fed me to the lions. Now I'm not wanting any of that, uh, but but let's face it, that the, the risks that God is calling us to take aren't that great in our culture at this time. I mean, the risk is to reputation. Will you go to your neighbor and share the good news? Or are you so afraid of rejection that that you won't even share with somebody that lives near to you? Yeah. I feel like I'm talking a lot. Uh, I think that it just like it, it just goes back to I think where do we put our optimism in, and if we continue to put our optimism in ourselves and like the high place in society that we have, the high status and friendships that we have, and so on, then we're going to continuously fail all the time because we're never going to meet our own standards, and we're obviously not going to reach God's standards that God has you know, desired for us. And I think the, the, most in, the most important factor that is then surrounding us then with a community of believers that can uplift us into correct mindsets that challenge us, not, not our own will, but it's always God's will. Well, maybe, you know, God's not leading you in that direction, which is why it's, you constantly fail all the time. And I think we, we need people in our lives to constantly challenge us because if we keep hearing the things that keep affirming our own mindsets, then are we actually being challenged or are we just lifting up our own optimism in ourselves kind of thing. But we need to hear also the voice of people around us that are speaking, well, like, God is challenging you in this way. It's good. Yeah, yeah it is good. I was thinking... Um, Right now, it makes me it makes me sad that we live in a world right now where um, it's just really hard for people to be able to to talk about things openly without 
being afraid that someone's going to mistake it, mis, um, misunderstand them. Like for me, it would, it would feel risky for some of my people that I'm friends on Facebook. If I put anything out there supporting the friends and people that I know that are police officers right now and how much I dearly love them and appreciate the work they do, like that would be a risk. It would be a risk for me to talk about, um, racial reconciliation and the need for that because there's a group of people that I know I like and so it's just really hard I feel like to know um how to lead in love when it seems like no matter what you say or do someone is gonna is gonna seek to take offense to it and so I for me I'm like I want to make sure I'm taking the the risks for the right the right reasons in the right ways um because I don't want to add to I don't want to add to the confusion I don't want to add to the noise but I think that there, there is a need for, for voices that are, that are speaking in, in grace and in truth right now um, in a lot of situations. But I, it's, it's just hard. I wish we had Amy in this conversation because she talked about what that, that Enneagram. Yeah. Enneagram, I, yeah. Yeah, I have a feeling that probably your personality and, and mine are on different spectrums on that. That, 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 that I would say I typically just say what I think is right. And, and I'm not saying that you're not saying that, but I usually don't worry a whole lot. Now I don't do any of that stuff on Facebook because I think Facebook's stupid. Um, sorry, uh, you know, because th- those conversations on uh, it's a never-ending, never-winning. You never can win that battle. But it, it is funny you said that because I, I think that in my per- personality is well, you just say if you say what's true and right from your perspective, you'll be okay. <laughs> but I guess sometimes you're not and you're miss. Uh, I don't know. I feel like truth with no grace is, is uh, sometimes a hard pill to swallow. <laughs> are, are you calling me graceless? <laughs> I, I didn't say that. I didn't okay. say that. David, by the way, if you ever do this again, now Mara's not got her, but you've always got to have the big cup to drink out because it's it's cool to pause i know you guys are making me so thirsty i came tonight unprepared i don't have my coffee i don't have my water, oh, there you, now you got water. thanks david just, yeah, just move good. on yeah welcome <laughs> sorry we digress <laughs> no no but i mean the reality is and, and i am all for i agree like you you say what's right like that that's that's our number one qualifier when we talk and we participate in these things like we have to yeah we have to say what's what's true um but like we don't live and exist in a vacuum or an isolation. So for me to just keep saying things that I believe to be true, again, I'm limited in some ways by my perspective. So something that I could be sure that I, that I think is true, I, I need to be willing to listen, I guess, if someone would come back and have a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was just been thinking about how like our actions and our non-actions, our words and the times we've stayed silent, those do have an, an impact on people around us. Mm-hmm. And as we kind of talk about risks, like um, I'm just thinking about risks or things that other people have done that have directly impacted me and that the risks that I take or that I don't take are ultimately going to have impacts on other people. And that feels really weighty to me tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Our risk and our, um, (laughs) because our failures have impact on people too. And and so, you know, sometimes we don't take a risk because we're afraid uh, you know, you know for, for, for instance, um, you know, if, if, if um, I, I want to just go out and start my own missionary society and quit, quit the church and quit my job and just, you know, that could have a, an effect on my family. Um, and, and so, you know, when we take those risks, they, they, the failures affect 
our friends and our family, as well as the successes. Um, um, so yeah, it's, it's difficult because we don't live in a vacuum. And that's part of the fear. I, I mean, we, we worry about what, how this will affect those we love. I mean, I, something too that has been constantly on my mind is uh, Jesus seeming like he, he's constantly saying like, I won't give you any yoke that is too much to bear because I will always be with you in it. And, and Rahab even looks after her own family. She says, like, uh, my brothers and sisters, my father and mother, and, and, and so on. And I think there is the element of, you know, constantly needing to take care of the, the things around us in the midst of it, too. But that doesn't mean that we can't just forego the risk entirely of it and being like, what Jesus says, like, well, I can't follow you, Jesus, because I have to go bury my father and, and do the, those things first. Like, we have to be willing to stay, take the step out in faithfulness, but also I think those things won't be left behind back there, but that, that God will be taken along and along with us. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus says some interesting things about that. Uh, he, he says, if, if a, a person doesn't hate mother and father uh, and love me, then they can have no part of me, which, you know, is hyperbole. You know, Jesus is exaggerating. And, and you know, you know, I don't think he's saying that you hate your family, but I think he's saying that our love compels us to do for God um, more than, than seems reasonable at times. And, and, but here, you know, once again, this is the conversation we're having. Do, do we live this all in unreasonable faith at times or are we reasoned in our faith and you know what is the balance you know how how you know when, when we read these stories this is unreasonable you know if, if you were to look at a fortified city against a bunch of wanderers um, it would make more sense to turn them in and get the reward money from the king of Jericho than to, to help them um, but she helps them. It's, it's, you know, but you see this throughout the stories, uh, you know, even as you go further down this storyline story uh, to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, made more sense for Ruth to go back home than follow her mother-in-law to Israel because uh, her mother-in-law wasn't going to have any more children. Uh, so it made more sense for her to go back to her father's home. It, it, it didn't make a lot of sense for, for David uh, to be the one that pursued the giant. Uh, not not on the surface. Uh, it didn't make much sense for David uh, not to kill King Saul w when he had the chance. And so, you know, throughout this, you see when when you follow, sometimes God calls us to follow unreasonable paths. And, it, it, you know, I, and I'm just kind of thinking out loud here. That's always a dangerous thing. But then you get to Solomon. And Solomon does all the reasonable things what do you do if you're a king? Well, you marry for the treaties and for peace. And, you know, on the surface, I think every, every kingdom in the world at that time would say, that's wise. <laughs> and it was its undoing. Uh, and, and so uh, I, I don't know what, why that popped in my mind, but I guess I'm just thinking down this line and there's all this unreasonableness. And then you get to Solomon and Solomon does all these by the world standard wise things, um, safe things. I mean, that's the safe thing to do. And it, it led to disaster. 
Yeah, no, honestly, I'm so glad you said that because I'm, I'm starting to like see this thing as we're kind of getting to uh, wrapping this up here. Solomon did all the reasonable things. Like but at the beginning, we talked about all of the reasonable things that we do to avoid taking risk. We have insurance, we have our savings, we have our retirement, we have all of these reasonable things. And I think that there's a bit of a perspective shift that we need in that those, while they are reasonable, are not sure things. And how do we how do we train our kids? How do we train ourselves to see that actually faith in our faith in God, our hope in God, that is the sure thing. Right. The risk is actually thinking we can do it on our own. The risk is thinking that in our power, I can prevent bad things from happening to my family. And so I, um, I love, I feel like this month we've just been talking all about perspective, but if our, if our perspective shifts to see that the sure thing is, is putting our faith in God, then anything else would be a risk. So it's actually less risk. See, see, we can flip that around. It's less risk That's good. to be walking with God, to be walking in his will. That's good. Yeah. I, I think that's a kind of a good ending point too of, of, of this. What other thoughts you have, David, anything else you want to add before we close this out? No, I feel like that was pretty well summed up there. Mara, that was great. Um, David, won't you um, pray us out? And uh, next week, we're, what are we talking about next week? We'll be talking about crossing the Jordan and the memorial stones. And, and then we'll, we'll be moving into um, um, the defeat of Jericho. And then we're going to talk about Gideon. And then we're going to talk about David a little bit. So we've got a little bit more in this epic series. We're kind of extending it and looking at some different stories. But um, thanks for joining us, David. We appreciate yeah. your perspective. And, uh, Before you go there, David, I do. I have to share the story about watching Nora. And I think you identified it as a failure, but I saw it as, as she successfully emptied every game in our game cabinet one night and saw all the pieces all over the floor. And she was very successful in, in, in just creating this masterpiece and the look on David's face. And I just will never forget, oh, Nora. So... <laughs> Sometimes with kids, you have to redefine what success is. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Sometimes, and she looked so cute doing it. Sometimes yeah. success is no broken bones. <laughs> let me tell you. Yes. Yeah. And a smile on her face at the end of the night. So. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, David, pray us out, bud. Yeah. All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this uh, time of discussion, for this time of just getting together and uh, discuss your word. Lord, strengthen us, encourage us, and, and move us to live epic lives, to put our optimism in you, to put our strength in you, and to be willing to take that step, but also to encourage that uh, step in, in our children, in our families, and in our own lives. Lord, challenge us. Lord, lead us to where you want us to go. And pray this in your heavenly name. Amen. 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 All right. Talk to you guys soon. See ya. See ya.